Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message today from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38, entitled, Questioning the Miraculous. Do you ever feel like you're being ganged up on? Maybe it seems like everybody, at work, at home, even at church, like everybody is taking pot shots at you. In Luke 20, each group of Jesus' enemies have ganged up on him, trying to trip him up and watch him fall. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they've all taken a shot. Now it's the Sadducees' turn, but Jesus had the right answers for each one, and he has the right answers for you. Here's Pastor Tim. I invite you to turn again tonight to Luke chapter number 20. Luke chapter 20 is a chapter of questions. But I've reminded you that these are not questions that are looking for answers. These are questions that are looking for arguments. They're more like confrontations. They're more like challenges and conflict. When Jesus' enemies come to him, they're trying each time to try to trick him in some particular way. And each one of these groups of Jesus' enemies we find in Luke chapter number 20. First, we got to see the Pharisees come, and they're different groups as far as the chief priest and the scribes. We got to see that, that religious group come together and really question Jesus' authority. Does he have authority to do the things that he's doing? Does he have authority to say the things that he's saying? And more importantly, does he really have the authority to claim the things that he's claiming about himself? When he didn't work with the Pharisees, the next group were the Herodians. The Herodians are not a religious group, they're a political group. They're a group that's looking for Messiah, but they are particularly looking for a Messiah that's going to deliver them through Rome, not just from Rome. In other words, this is a group of people that have bought into the Roman occupation. They follow King Herod. And they follow his ways along with Herod the Great and then his son Herod Antipas. They have followed that whole line of reasoning that, that, that the Roman government and that now rules in their time the whole known world would give them a better opportunity at peace. And so the Herodians come to Jesus and trying to, trying to force the hand a little bit, force uh, an, an insurrection if you will. They come with their questions, but their question this time has to do with a challenge of Jesus' integrity. You would think of all things that they could accuse Jesus of. I mean, imagine being one of those Pharisees and accusing Jesus, demanding proof that he has authority. Imagine being in this group now that begins to question and demand proof about Jesus' integrity. And especially when it comes to his relationship with Rome and specifically in that area of taxes. There's a third group, however, and that's the group that we meet tonight. They're the Sadducees. They're another religious group. If the Pharisees were the conservative fundamental, by the letter of the law, 
legalistic group. The Sadducees are the liberals of their day. They're the moderates. They're the ones who really don't believe and yet still subscribe to the truths that they want to subscribe to out of the Old Testament. They are focused primarily on Moses, what Moses writes. They're not really interested in any of the prophecies. They're not greatly interested in any of the poetry. They're interested in the law. And they want to make sure that that's followed, and maybe not by the letter, but at least by the spirit of that law. And that's who we find tonight when we come to verse number 27. In fact, you'll notice there in that verse, it says, Then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for, her, for his brother. Let's just stop there for now. What we've seen in these questions is, is what each one of these groups thinks is this most brilliant way of trapping Jesus, that they, that they can catch him in some kind of lose-lose situation, a, a catch-22, to, to catch him somewhere between a rock and a hard place, right? It hasn't worked yet. And now here's another group, and they think that they've got the, they got the corn on the market, and they're finally going to be able to get him. And they're not going to be able to get him anyway, either. What we find is this question followed by an answer. And that's the same, that's the same process that you'll see tonight. So I would start you this way. Number one, their question majored on the minors. Do you know anybody like that? They major on the minors. They find their one pet doctrine, their one pet thought that's, that's really not necessarily an essential issue. Boy, they drive that one home. And, 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 and they make it a part of salvation. They make it a part of Christian fellowship. That's really what the Sadducees are doing. They're finding this one particular area, a, a minor issue, and we'll talk about it from the Scriptures in just a moment. They find this one minor issue, and they make that their major theme. This is what they want to concentrate on. And we read it, at least we read the beginning of it. But what you see them coming to Jesus with is, and I'll give you these three things under their question. Number one. The Sadducees began with an insincere introduction. Every one of these groups have already done this. You know, they, they have played up Jesus even though they didn't believe. In fact, it, when it comes to the group of the Pharisees, the Bible says, or the Herodians, it says that they pretended to be Jesus' disciples. They come to the, him with these questions as, as if they really are wanting to learn, they really want to know. That's not why they're there at all. It's a sincere introduction. You see the same thing here. When they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, he's not their teacher. They are not his learners. They're not going to stoop themselves to, to call themselves students and essentially not disciples. You know, one of my favorite 
stories in the Bible. I, I love it when um, Jesus kind of pulls a fast one on them sometimes, you know? Like, um, like when he healed the man who was, who was born blind, and the, and the religious leaders all gather together, and they say, you tell us, who did this to you? You know, and he continues to tell them that it's Jesus, and they don't want to hear that, and they want to know how this happens. And so he finally says, why, do you want to become his disciples too? You know, it's hilarious, you know. And, and, and they're not that. They are not Jesus' disciples. They're not his students, and they certainly don't want to be. So they bring up this issue by way of introduction. Teacher. You're a teacher of the Scriptures. So we want to bring you this Bible question. And it's not just some Bible question like the Pharisees came up with. This is one that we really want to pull out. We want to dig down deep on one of those, one of those tangent issues in the Old Testament. And we want to grab that one out, and we want to give it to you. Moses wrote to us. It's just in the law. It's part of what they... Uh, what they consider to be holy writ. It's part of their Bible, if you will. In fact, what they're referring to, you're going to find in Deuteronomy chapter 25. And he says, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, he has a wife, he's married, but he dies without children. Now, why is, why is this important already? Because their family line. If, if this man dies without any children, without any heirs, then his name is gone. And so you find in Deuteronomy chapter 25 what Moses calls the Leverite marriage. Uh, you're, you'll be familiar with it when we talk about the book of Ruth. That's why Boaz was able to redeem her. He was her kinsman redeemer. So they're picking up this kinsman redeemer kind of attitude. He says, okay, this man dies. He's got a wife, but he doesn't have any kids. His brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. That's exactly what Deuteronomy chapter 25 is about. It's about that man raising up that firstborn child to be his brother's heir so that his name can continue on, and then that man is able to have children of his own and heirs of his own. This is one of those introductions where they're able to be, to, it's almost as if they're able to say to Jesus, Jesus, we know our Bible. We know it. Have you ever heard anybody say, I know what the Bible says. You know what's coming next, don't you? But whatever follows is not good, right? Whatever follows is not truth. Whatever follows that, is somewhat suspicious. We know what the Bible says, but that's what they're doing with this introductory statement. See, Jesus, we know what the Bible says. It's right there in black and white. Moses wrote it down for us. That if a man dies without children, but with a wife, the, his brother's supposed to marry that wife and raise up an heir for him. We know our Bible. But, this is the problem. In fact, if you go back one verse to verse number 27, you can already tell that they're headed in a direction that they do not believe. He says some of the Sadducees, and it defines them this way, who deny 
that there is a resurrection. In fact, the Sadducees deny anything miraculous. They believe what they can see. They're Missouri Sadducees. <laughs> Show me and I will believe it. But if I don't see it, then I don't believe it. If you don't post pictures, then it didn't happen. Right? And so, so they're looking at Jesus and said, there is no such thing as a resurrection. So we want to ask you about the resurrection. We don't believe in anything even about the afterlife, but we want to ask you about the afterlife. We don't really believe everything that's written there in the Bible, but let us ask you something about the Bible. They began with an insincere introduction, and it's only going downhill from there. Number two, the Sadducees blabbed about an improbable incident. I mean, they blabbed on and on and drug this poor thing out. I mean, they could have let, they, they could have, their question that they're eventually going to get around to in verse number 33 could have been asked now. You know, a man dies, he didn't, have, he didn't have any kids, but he's got a wife, the brother's supposed to take the wife, he could then add in whose wife is she going to be. But that's, that's not good enough for them, right? They're trying to stump Jesus. They want to really stump him, so this is what they say in verse number 29. Now, there were seven brothers. Oh boy, that woman's in for it. And, and the first one took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife, and he died childless. And then the third took her, and in like manner, thank you for at least being brief now, the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also. How probable really is that? Not very, is it? Not to go through seven generations. Certainly, it, 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 it would have not been uncommon for it to happen one time. It might have been an oddity to happen twice, but to happen seven times. They're giving to Jesus a question or, or presenting Him with this incident, this problem, that's not even realistic. It's the same kind of things that you and I worry about. We worry most of the time about things that are unrealistic. Things that aren't going to happen, things that are improbable. And we force those things, those questions upon God, as, as if there's some kind of test, as if maybe, let's see if Jesus can handle this one. My situation is far worse than anybody else's situation Let's see if God can handle this. We know good and well that he can handle anything, right? So they just blab on and on about this incident that probably is not ever going to happen. So let's rush on then to number three. You don't even need to spend a lot of time there. Number three. The Sadducees brought an irrelevant inquiry. An irrelevant inquiry. It says, this is their question, finally. When they get through their story, verse 32, 33, Therefore, in the resurrection... Do you already see a problem with their question? <laughs> they don't believe in the resurrection, right? We've already been told in verse 27 that they deny that it even exists. Therefore, in the resurrection, 
whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. If we play what we found back in verses 5 and 6 with them again, their thought process is, you know, how is Jesus going to answer? You know, if if he comes to a point of saying, well, you know, really, (laughs) there's there's not really a resurrection. There's, There's really not a heaven. There's not an afterlife. There's not going to be anything really like that. Well, if he says that, he's denied everything that he's taught up to this point. If he comes to a point of saying, uh, you know, well, he's going to be, she'll be the, the husband of the first guy, or she'll be the husband of the last guy. You know, two through six, they're out of, the, they're out of it all together. It's like Trump and what's her name? It's a two-person race. It's one and, two, one and seven. You know, it's, it's either one of them. And who's it going to be? Jesus, who are you going to pick? If he comes to a point of saying, I don't know, then what kind of teacher is he really? They feel like they've got Jesus over a barrel. And that there's no way that he can really answer this. It's an irrelevant question, isn't it? I mean, to them it should be. They don't believe in a resurrection anyway. So why even ask about it? Unless you're simply trying to trip Jesus up. All right? I think let's get to Jesus' answer. I'm kind of ready to go there. That's enough time on their, on their stuff. So their question majored on the minors, right? Well, Jesus' answer, Jesus kept the main thing, the main thing. Sometimes that can be hard to do, isn't it? But he kept the main thing, the main thing. He didn't get off on their tangents. When you start, when you start on with your crazy questions that you're going to ask the Lord, if I, when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to ask the Lord this. You know, and then you realize, no, I'm probably not going to ask, ask the Lord any of that stuff. You know, but when I do, I am going to ask him this, right? Most of those things are questions that, in the scope of eternity, they don't matter. And whatever God does with that, he does with it. And one of these days, you're going to be known, or you're going to know even as you yourself are already known, the main thing needs to be the main thing. We can lose people in the midst of majoring on minors. Because it's majoring on minors that gets me into an argument, right? Been in an argument with another believer about what you believe? Maybe an argument about, you know, about even something like the rapture. Is Jesus going to come before the tribulation? Is he going to come after the tribulation? Is he going to come in the middle of the tribulation? Or is he going to come at all? You'll find some Bible-believing Christians that are in all of those camps. You ever have an argument with them about it? These days, you ever have an argument with a Calvinist? Or someone who, who subscribes to Reformed theology? It's more and more prevalent in our convention. And there's some Bible-believing good folks who believe that way. Just not one of them. You can get in an argument very quickly with somebody like that. And you begin to find out that those arguments always are about minor issues that are made to be major. And here's the thing about those arguments. You can win the argument and lose your friend. 
What's even worse is when you get into an argument with that, that guy at work, or even worse, that person at home. And it's not just that you've won an argument and lost a friend, you've won an argument and lost a soul. I don't see anywhere where real arguing gets us anywhere. But being winsome certainly does. Anyway, let me keep the main thing the main thing, right? Let's get back to the Scriptures. That's what Jesus did. There's something that Luke leaves out of his telling of this story that Matthew includes and that Mark includes. And it's the very first thing that Jesus has to say. If you look at ours in verse number 34, uh, Luke has him immediately jumping into the answer of the question. But Matthew and Mark, they include what Jesus says before he gets to what we have in verse number 34. They both say this. This is the way that Matthew puts it. Jesus said, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. That's the issue. The issue is not about when the resurrection is going to be. The issue is not where heaven's located. The, he- the, the question is not what are we going to do? Are we going to be angels? You know, none of that stuff is the real question. The real question is, what do you believe about the Scriptures? And what do you believe about the power of God? That's where Jesus puts them. Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us here today on Brit David Podcast. And he invites you to join us tomorrow as he continues his message, Questioning the Miraculous. From Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 28. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.